Christ. And we declared to you that the word preeminence actually means to stand out above all others or to preempt any other thing, person, place, or thing in our lives. If we're watching a television program, I don't care if it's the, the uh, what do they call them up there in Pennsylvania, the football team up there, I can't even think of it now. The Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys playing, and it's one minute from touchdown. If some great news report has to break in, it preempts. People pull out their hair and throw books in the air and kick chairs over and everything. But this, as far as the news media is concerned, is more important than the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys playing that last minute of the final game of the season. Preempt. And the Word of God tells us in Colossians 1.18, And He is the head of the body of the church, that in all things He might have the preeminence. God's saying that there has to come a time in our lives when we declare that from this day forward, nothing else will be able to preempt the will of God for my life. Jesus Christ is going to be absolute Lord of my life. He supersedes every other relationship, every other possession, every other thought, every other desire, every other anticipation. We declared to you several examples of worshiping Him in the position of preeminence. One was exaltation, being able to declare as the Word of God does how worthy Jesus Christ is, beginning to take the Scriptures and just speak them back to the Lord. Thou art worthy to, to open the seal. Uh, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And there needs to be more time spent as believers exalting the name of Jesus Christ and praising Him for who He really is. Secondly, I talked about retrospection, having a grateful memory. When you look back on things that have happened in your past, do you look back with disgust or resentment or do you look, look back with thankfulness and gratefulness to the Lord? You say, brother, how can I be thankful for that? Because you can know that God's Word says all things. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, if you've ever tried a, a cake mixture before it's completed, I'm talking about one coming from scratch. My wife has been baking a cake before. In fact, there was a time when I was baking a cake one time, and Jeffrey came in and stuck his finger in it, stuck in his mouth, and he went, yuck. Well, there was nothing wrong with that cake mix. It just wasn't done yet. I hadn't put all the goodies in it yet, but he thought I had, and he stuck his finger in it, and he looked at it, and he says, that's terrible. I said, well, wait till it's done, and then it won't be terrible. And when it was done, it tasted delicious. And if you and I can understand that principle in our lives and God's dealing with us, we may look back at something and say, yuck. But if we can and say that's terrible, but if we'll look at it in the, the complete picture in which God presents it to us, that he, is, he which hath begun a good work in us will complete it, he hasn't put all the parts together to where we can look back and say, now I understand why God had me go through that. But by faith, we look back with a grateful memory. Lord, I thank you for the hard times, for the good times, for the fun times, for the crying times, for the heartbreaking times. I thank you for all those times because you're being formed in my life through this. And you're teaching me how to let go of things and to really make you first in my life. A grateful memory. David said, forget not all his benefits. Thirdly, I said humiliation to recognize that we have no right to come before the Lord, but He lets us come through His mercy and grace. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, He made a way for us. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ made a way for us to come directly into the throne of God in prayer. 
Secondly, I talked not only the examples of worship, but then I talked about preparation for worship. I said there needs to be, first of all, a weeding, and then a seeding, and then a heeding. Now, if you didn't get that, go back and get the tape. I won't go through that in detail again, but some of you weren't here, and I wanted you to get a little bit of a background on this. But James 1, 20 through 22 talks about getting the wax out of your ears and implanting the Word of God in your heart, the engrafted Word, and... Uh, when we get the word into our heart, disobedience will cease if we'll get it down into our spirit. And heeding says you'll not only be doer, hearers of the word, but doers also. And, but that's the process in coming to a place in preparation for worship. If you and I have our ears filled with the world and the things of the world and the ideas of the world, it's almost impossible for us to be able to hear from God the way he wants us to hear from him. So today I want to talk to you about instructions in worship, and I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew, chapter six. Matthew, chapter six, beginning with the fifth verse. <clears throat> I want you to know here that the Lord talks about three areas of worship or uh, fellowship with him, our relationship with him in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Verses one through five, he talks about the act of worship that is called giving talking about the alms. You know what's interesting to me, and uh, this is something to write down and notice when you read the sixth chapter of Matthew, every area of worship and service to God that Jesus declares and speaks of here in the sixth chapter has to do with, with secret worship, with secret giving, with secret fasting, with secret prayer. None of this public stuff. You see, our relationship to God is a secret relationship it should be a quiet secret relationship now there's nothing wrong with getting excited and blessing god and praising god and you know getting a little excited about it once in a while but the the true spirit the true relationship that you and i have with god will be in a very personal private way i love my wife very deeply my love for my wife is a very private thing a very personal thing now i'll come around and tell you that i love her but she knows that i love her because of the way i try to be when i'm around her And people can say they love God, but Jesus says the real evidence of it is what we do in the private, in the secret area. Take note of that. First of it in giving, and then he talks about in praying, and then he talks about in fasting. When you read here, he didn't say if you pray or if you give or if you fast. He says when you do it. These are the things that should be done. But beginning with verse 5, let me read it. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, <clears throat> they have their reward. May I just simply add to this before I go on. For everyone that you know that says they don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites, make them recognize that the Lord knows that hypocrites are in the church too. You want to know something? A lot of church people know there are hypocrites in the church too. You know, I, I get facetious once in a while. I tell, I tell you to tell them there's always room for one more, but that isn't very nice. But uh, someone said you have to be smaller than the thing you hide behind, but that's not very nice either. But basically, uh, the, the one thing that you can be assured of, come on to church anyway. Tell them, look, they're doing their thing now, and they're getting their reward now, but the Lord talks about the fact that if you'll do what he tells you to do, your reward will be coming, and it'll be a better one than they've got. Their reward is getting the, the people to look at them and say, oh my, aren't they wonderful? The Lord knows there's hypocrites in the church. You should know that. You should understand that. 
but realize that they already have their reward. If somebody noticed them, that's what they wanted, they got it, but after this life, there's nothing. So tell them, look, let them have their fun while they can. They're not going to get any fun afterwards. But don't let that stop you from worshiping the Lord. But when thou prayest, verse 6, enter into thy closet. Now, by the way, that does not mean necessarily that if you don't have a closet, you can't pray. Now, I've, I've actually had some people say, well, we don't have a closet in our house. <laughs> That isn't what he's trying to say here. Uh, actually, there was a room set aside in most of the Jewish homes where they could get alone and close the door if they wanted to pray. And that's what Jesus was saying. Find that place where you can be alone and meet the Lord. You just get alone with the Lord. Now, sometimes I'm laying on my bed and I'm alone with the Lord. Sometimes I'm in the study. Sometimes I'm in the living room. I'll tell you from now on, just about everywhere I'm going to be, it's going to be I'm going to be alone at home. Uh, out in the yard mowing. Some of you that are visiting, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we just delivered our two children to Bible school and all of a sudden they're all gone and our house is very, very empty. <clears throat> but, when thou, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven, uh, excuse me, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As we're talking about instructions for worship, and coming into the area of prayer, it's one of the greatest needs, I believe, in the church today. I, I read something that someone wrote down. I thought I'd just share it with you. It said the church today, and by the way, this wasn't written just recently. It was written many, many years ago, so it hasn't changed. The church today has many organizers, but so few agonizers. Church has many players and payers, but few prayers. The church has much fashion but little passion. Many interferers, but not many intercessors. You know, God talks about the gifts of the Spirit and the ministry gifts, the apostle, the, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, evangelist, and so forth. And that's open to a, to a select few. God gives as gifts to the body, different ones with certain gifts. But you know, the prayer ministry is open to all believers. It's not restricted. Anyone who will cry out and call out to God God will hear that prayer and begin to minister to those in need in the body. And I think this is one of the greatest problems in the church today is the lack of prayer. It's wonderful to get excited. It's wonderful to see the gifts of the Spirit flowing. But it won't continue in the power of the Spirit as much as in the power of the flesh if it is not done through much prayer. I, I, I hesitate because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I, I want you to know that God says that he wants men to pray always, praying always with all prayer and supplication. 
And this is an area where I think that right now as a body of believers, God wants to deal with that we might begin to learn how to be intercessors for this particular work that God's called us to here in Lake Mary. I believe that when we pray, things happen that wouldn't happen if we didn't pray. And I, I'm talking not about group prayers. I'm talking about where each one of us as individuals become prayer warriors, intercessors. In our closet, we close the door and begin to hold up the work of God here in Lake Mary before Him. You can go through the scriptures and you can go through history and find out that when God laid a certain ministry on a certain need on one individual's heart and they've gone to prayer and began to intercede and cry out to God for that need, that God sent revival. Now, I'm talking about genuine revival. We're talking about all this charismatic revival today. I heard someone say just recently, and it really struck me. He said the charismatic revival today is 500 miles wide and a sixteenth of an inch deep. He says, the only revival I've ever heard of in the United States yet, or in the world yet, that hasn't closed the bars and the houses of prostitution. Every other revival that I've ever heard of, when it's been a genuine Holy Ghost revival, the bar rooms closed down, the houses of prostitution closed down, laborers started going back to their plants, dumping all the things that they had lifted from the place or stolen from the place back and crying out and asking their bosses to forgive them. There's just a Holy Ghost movement of holiness moving across all the people. And he said, that isn't happening in this particular revival today. He says, so I'm wondering if it's really a revival. If it's a revival, men's lives are going to be changed. And if men's lives are going to be changed, no revival has ever come to this world yet except through prayer. Let me say that again. No revival has ever come on earth until, first of all, there has been urgent prayer on the part of God's people. And we're hearing a lot about praise, and we're hearing a lot about worship, and I thank God for that. But I think, first of all, there needs to be that time of getting alone in the closet with God and beginning to cry out, Lord, I don't want something that's thin and shallow. I want something that's deep that changes lives. When that begins to move, let me tell you, nothing is the same. I was blessed of God to be able to be in on two small revival moves of, uh, of God in our Bible college when I was there. And I want to tell you something. It is something that you just can't even describe. You can be sitting in the chair, the whole class will be sitting in the classroom, and all of a sudden the speaker, I remember, walked in one day into the class in one fell swoop. Uh, everyone went right off their seats onto the floor, faces down on the floor before God began to weep before God. You couldn't get up. I had trouble breathing sometimes. I was weeping so hard and seeking God and crying out to God so hard. There was nothing you could do about it. You just felt such conviction in your heart. You just had to just cry out to God. We went to the chapel and it was supposed to start at 7 in the morning and it was supposed to be through by 8. They finally made them close down at 12 o'clock so that everybody could go to lunch. They you just everybody standing up and confessing their sins and getting right with God. But somewhere along the line, someone had begun to pray for revival in that school. <clears throat> the true secret of praying is praying in secret. Not where everybody else hears us, but praying in secret. Getting alone with God. I'll tell you one thing. A sinning man will stop praying, but a praying man will stop sinning. And that's why many men don't want to pray. 
Many women don't want to pray today because when they begin to really seek God and he says, if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. And you find him and you walk in the presence of God and you'll cry like Isaiah of old. Woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. God will begin a purifying work in your life and mine. The desire of my heart right now is that when we have now have more time and it's quieter in our home, that God's going to allow me more time to get before him and seek his face. The secret of prayer is secret prayer. In Luke, the 11th chapter, you don't have to turn to it, but in Luke, the 11th chapter, <clears throat> the disciples saw Jesus praying and they came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, he had already given this teaching concerning prayer. And I don't think that they were saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. I think they already knew how to pray because they had prayed and the Lord had uh, prayed before them. But they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, you know, that's the problem with most believers today. It isn't that they don't know how to pray. It's that they don't do it. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to really worship, how to really seek your face. And it's interesting how the Lord began. He, <clears throat> he talked to them, first of all, with some negatives. Be not as, be not as, before he got into the positive. First of all, he said, don't be like the Pharisees. Now, you remember Jesus spoke of it in another place that the Pharisees, and Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You remember he said, now I speak foolishly, but he's not as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, if he were living today, he would say, well, I am a fundamental evangelical charismatic of the charismatic fundamental evangelicals. I mean, everybody looked to me to see how people were supposed to be. I mean, if you thought you were good, you should have seen me. If you thought you were narrow-minded, you should have seen me. I was really, really strict. But Jesus said the Pharisees were like those who the outside was all washed clean. When everybody looked at them, they thought, wow. But he said inside they were full of dead man's bones. They were like a sepulcher. Outside they looked just beautiful, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. He said you wash the outside of the cup, but inside it's full of filth. Because you see, everything to them had to have an outward front to look good. You know, I thank God for the ministry of deliverance that he's taught us because it makes us be able to get beyond the outside and see that God wants the cup clean inside too and that it can be cleaned in the name of Jesus. But the Pharisees would walk out on the main street corner and when it was time for prayer, when everybody else was supposed to go in their closet or go off into the temple somewhere quietly, they'd stand and they'd raise their hands and then begin to pray out loud. Everybody would say, oh my, isn't he a godly man? Jesus said, he's already got his reward. Don't worry about it. Remember, another aspect of a Pharisee's prayer or a hypocrite's prayer is to compare. The story of the publican and the Pharisee, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. God, I thank you that I'm not like this publican over here. Oh, goodness, how grateful I am that I'm not like that wretch. Oh, you say, Brother Webb, I'd never say that. Don't have to say it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh sometimes, but also as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It doesn't have to come out of our mouth. But has there ever been a time we have to watch? I have to watch sometimes. That we look at someone and say, boy, am I ever glad I'm not like that. Rather than by the grace of God, there, but by the grace of God, there I go. If God were to take his hand off my life, I'd probably be worse than that person. And Jesus said that old publican bowed his head and wouldn't even so much as look up and beat himself on the chest. And he said, 
God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't even say, God, somehow make me like that Pharisee. He just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I say unto you, verily, verily, that man, that publican is the only one that went down to his house justified. Now, Jesus says, don't pray like that. Don't compare yourself to others. and Don't feel like you're better than others when you come into prayer, like the hypocrites do, or say things that you don't really mean. And secondly, he says, don't do a lot of vain babbling. Of course, many religions today will have certain phrases they're supposed to say over and over and over again. We have heard of some of the Zen Buddhism and the different Eastern religions now where they have certain phrases to say over and over again. The Roman Catholics have uh, the beads that they say, so many Hail Marys as they go around it. Now, according to God's Word, that's vain babbling because it's saying the same thing over and over again that has no progressive nor redemptive value to it whatsoever. Now, Jesus says, don't do that. Now, let me say also that many, many times, I don't know about you, but many, many times it's happened in my life to where I find myself just talking and talking and talking and talking in prayer and can't quit and be quiet before the Lord. Let me tell you something. That's vain babbling sometimes in itself. I read something in Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter in the second verse, that has spoken to my heart, and I've asked the Lord to help me be a little quieter when I'm in prayer with Him and try to listen to Him speak to me more. Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter and the second verse says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. You know, a lot of times we don't have anything half as important to say to God as He has to say to us. And as long as we're talking, he's not going to interrupt. And I'll tell you, to be honest too, many, many times I have to be absolutely quiet before the Lord for a long time before I begin to see what he wants to talk to me about. He says, don't just babble. Don't just bring a lot of vain words out. So he, he brought out the negative aspect of it first. And then the positive. Matthew 6, 9. After this manner, Matthew 6, 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, uh, Dr. DeHaan, some years ago, wrote uh, a Bible study on this, and he brought out the three looks of this prayer, the first one being the upward look. And uh, that's the first part in verse 9 there is identification. Verse 9, our Father which art in heaven. The relationship that you and I have with God is one of a father and son relationship. And I think if there's anything important that I need to bring out here, and I want to take a few moments and share it with you this morning, in the upward look, is it in teaching again how we are to approach God properly. Now I say that because many, many times I hear so many today, especially in the charismatic circles, who are praying to Jesus continuously. How many of you know, don't raise your hand, but do you know that God's Word tells us we're not supposed to be praying to Jesus any longer? To whom, do, I mean, for, for, for what purpose did Jesus come? The Word of God says that Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. The Holy Spirit has come to reveal Jesus Christ to us. 
so that when the Holy Spirit shows us the reality of Jesus Christ and his purpose for coming was to reveal the Father, Jesus said, I simply did one thing. I came to open the door for you so that you can come into the presence of the Father. Up until this time, you couldn't come close to him. And all I have done is opened up the way for you to come to the Father. <clears throat> Jesus said, pray to thy Father. And so he says, when you do pray, say, our Father which art in heaven. Look at John the 16th chapter with me for a moment. This is very important. So many times I hear, and, and I'm not criticizing, I think it's time for us to mature in this area. I hear people saying, dear Jesus this and dear Jesus that and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We are to come to the Father in the name of Jesus, using His name as the authority by which we come. John, the 16th chapter, verses 23 through 27. And in that day ye shall ask me, what? Underscore that. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall speak you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, now, this is important. Jesus said, don't ask me to ask the Father for you. You don't need to do that. The Roman church teaches that we should go to Mary and pray to Mary because if you go to a son's mother, she has more influence, and if she goes to the son and asks him for the answer, he's more likely to give it to you. That's not scriptural. The Word of God says here, Jesus himself said, hey, don't come and ask me for it. Go directly for the Father. Why? To the Father. Why? Verse 27. For the Father himself loveth you because he hath loved me and have believed that I came down from God. Get that now. Jesus said, you don't go to the, to, to come to me for answers to prayer. You come to the Father in my name. Don't think that you're going to get a little more influence if you come to me first. You don't need to. No one can love you more than the Father, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He made this provision for you through me so that you could come to Him. And so I want to encourage you as believers, learn when you come to prayer, come to our Father, my Father in heaven. I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then make your petitions known to the Lord worshiping him well let's go on here <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> the second thing is you come to the father first of all and then you come to a point of confession identification first of all our father confession hallowed be thy name it's hard to get any further until first of all you come to recognize with whom you're speaking you ever noticed how we're influenced by the people we're around? Have you ever noticed how other people are influenced by the people they're around? You ever walked in a room where filthy jokes were flying around and suddenly they just stop? You think, well, what is it? They see you walk in and suddenly the dirty jokes cease or the swearing stops. You see, there's an influence there of your presence if they know that you walk with Jesus Christ. 
I remember when I used to work in construction, I'd walk around and they'd say, Oh, here comes the deacon, cut off the cussing. Here comes the preacher, stop the stories. They'd come around and say, Now, preacher, you better get out of here because I'm going to tell a story you won't like. I wish I'd had a little more boldness right then. I'd turn around and say, Go ahead and I'll quote scripture while you're doing it. But you see, there's an influence. And when we come to our Father and we begin to recognize Him, describe His nature, it's going to have an influence on our attitude. Holy is your name. Holy is your name. Holy, 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 the angels and the seraphim and the cherubim sang. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. So many times people flippantly come into the, what they think is the presence of their heavenly Father with, with an attitude of flippancy and indifference. When you hear them talking about the old man upstairs, they have no concept of the Father which Jesus described. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed or holy is thy name. You see, when we begin to understand that, we'll begin to understand why God said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he won't hear me. He cannot look upon sin, won't have anything to do with sin. And that's why he wants us to deal with it. He says, judge yourselves that you be not judged. I don't want to judge you. You're my children, and I want you to walk in obedience. You, you recognize I'm a holy God, and I cannot look upon sin. When you come before me, if you delight yourself in me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. It's just so simple. If we recognize to whom we're coming and what he requires and what he expects and what he desires, and we delight, desire to, to delight him, and to please him, we come into his presence. He says, there isn't anything you can want but what you'll have it. That's the answer. Now, this is contrary to some of the other teaching, faith teaching that you hear today. Some faith teaching tells you, well, it's all right. I mean, you can leave the edges kind of rough over here. Just, just demand it. Just get God up in the corner and tell him, look, you promised it right here. Now you'll do it or else. If we fulfill the requirements of God's word, he's duty bound to fulfill his promises. But don't expect him to fulfill his promises until we fulfill our obligations and our responsibilities as children. God is not easily manipulated, you see. He says, hey, I want to bless you. I want to give to you. I want to encourage you. I want to prosper you. But I can't do it if you're living in sin and unrighteousness. Therefore, when you come before me, recognize that if you regard iniquity in your heart, I don't hear your prayer. If you don't forgive, I don't forgive. But if you'll forgive, then I forgive. If you'll confess, then I'll forgive, and I'll cleanse from all unrighteousness. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is continually cleansing us from all sin. God says he wants to walk with us, but there are requirements involved. I'm going to stop right there and end tonight. I want to share with you the third aspect of that part our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The aspect of submission. That's the, the upward look now. There are two other looks that I want to share with you tonight that I, I know will be an encouragement to you and a blessing to you if, if God's laid it on your heart to begin to see the importance of prayer in the life of the believer. I believe that God wants to bless this fellowship. I believe God wants to pour out his anointing on this fellowship. I believe he wants to pour out his gifts and miracles on this church. <clears throat> and I believe he'll do it to the same degree that we as believers believe God for it and begin to cry out to him. Second Chronicles 
can be applied to our situation here. And I want to see God do a tremendous work. You know, it, it was a real blessing this past week when I was at Bible college. I met a couple of pastors and we were sharing. I said, yes, we just brought seven of our young people to this college and three of them went off to another Christian college and, and uh, four of them went to another college, uh, Carson Newman and Oral Roberts. Ten young people? Boy, you must have a big church. I said, no, we have a very small fellowship, maybe 85 to 115 people most of the time in the services. Boy, are you ever going to feel that loss? I said, yes, we'll feel that loss, but you wait till the crop comes in. Then we're going to realize the harvest. And I said, we're even encouraging more of our young people to be praying earnestly about God calling them out to some form of service for him. Pray ye therefore, pray ye therefore, pray ye therefore, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will thrust forth laborers into the harvest field. See, God doesn't move except through prayer. God does not move except through our prayers. He says, you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Not command me, but tell me what you desire in your heart, what you want to see done in my work, and then I'll do it. If you ask anything according to my will, I'll hear you. And you know if I hear you, I'm going to do it. So God says, you just believe me. And I'm asking that God will cause us to begin to have the right upward look so the other looks will be productive in our lives also and we'll see the fruit come forth from it. May God just put an urgency in our heart to begin to realize how important it is as believers. I'm not just talking to the adults today. I'm talking to the boys and girls, young people. Learn to be prayer warriors. Learn to pray for the needs of your home and needs of the church, needs of the community, needs of the nation. Learn to be a prayer warrior. The earlier you learn that, the more powerful you'll be in the days ahead. There is no power on earth like the power of prayer. The greatest weapon. I remember Dr. E.J. Daniels years ago had a book out, The Christian Secret Weapon, and he had a, an atomic bomb exploding on the front of his book. The Christian Secret Weapon. And of course it was prayer. There is no force on earth, not even the atomic or the hydrogen bomb, no force on earth like under the force of prayer. When we pray, it moves God. And I want to see God move in Lake Mary. Amen. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. And I desire this morning that Jesus Christ be preeminent in my life. I thank you, Lord, for the blessings of life. I thank you for your leading in my life. I thank you for the calling of my life. I thank you for the privilege of being able to minister your word. But I ask, Father, that above everything else, you'll cause me to be a prayer warrior. In Jesus' name, give me a spirit of prayer. Give me a hunger to pray. And then, Lord, I ask that that same desire and that same burden will be given to our people. We've seen you answer so many prayers in the past, but, Lord, that's such a small thing in comparison to what you could do or would do if we just really begin to seek your face. I ask that you'd put into our hearts to the privilege and make us aware of the privilege that's ours to come to our Father in the name of Jesus and make our petitions known. Lord, let us be praying people so that we won't be sinning people. And let us not hesitate because there's sin in our life to come into your presence and ask for forgiveness and 
to sense the cleansing and the forgiveness and the renewing that comes through repentance and faith and confession. Then, Lord, let us come boldly before the throne of God to make our petitions known, knowing that you desire to bless us and answer our prayers. We just commit this time to you and ask it tonight. Our hearts will be open to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to the church as we study the Lord's Prayer tonight. Minister to our spirits in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.